0: Solomon, I'm hoping the same thing. Oh, as we begin the story, uh, how many of you already have your copy of the story? How many have it? All right, looks like almost everybody. Great. Uh, The question was asked what do I do with it on Sunday? You know, do I leave it at home to rest or do I bring it with me? Uh, Bring it with you, all right? It'll help you. I'm going to reference both. So if you want to bring just your Bible, then you can do that as well. And um, I will be referencing both the, the text, the verses, and the page numbers in the story. And if you didn't get your copy yet of the story, they're out in the lobby and you can get one um, after service and you can see Donna or I'm not sure if Glenn might be out there as well. And so the story is something that we are going to be embarking upon through the whole school year. And we've started a new beginning of a new school year. And God is starting a new beginning for us as well. As we look at the story and see what God has been up to for all history and what God has in store for us today and what God has in store for all of eternity. And so as we begin the story, we need to understand the whole picture and that's what we're going to be looking at beginning today. And so through the 31 weeks of study, we will get a big picture of what God is doing And we're going to understand the upper story, which is what God has been planning to do from the day of creation until the days of eternity in heaven. And then the lower story is our story and what's happening in our lives and what God is doing. And even when there are problems and even when there are difficulties, what is God doing? Is he doing anything? And as Solomon said, we have to ask the right questions. We have to ask the right questions as we look into the word of God. And so we're going to ask some questions today. Some very basic questions. Like, where did I come from? Why am I here? And we're going to see that God has a purpose for each one of our lives. And that God has a purpose for our children. God has a purpose for our families. God has a purpose for the work that we do. God has a purpose for us being here right now. So let us pray and ask God to fulfill His purpose. Heavenly Father... We thank you for all that you've given to us. And Lord, it is more than we could ask or imagine. It is greater than anything we could ever create on our own. Father, we know that this is your story that you've invited us to be a part of. And Father, we pray that you would help us in this time to know who you are, And to know what creation meant to you. What it was from your eyes. So that then we could understand creation in the right way. And your love and your grace. Because of Jesus. Lord, help us to see how even Jesus fits into the first chapter of the Bible. In the beginning. Let us see, Lord, all that you have for us in this new beginning. I pray for every person here that they would make in their own hearts a decision to fulfill the desire to read your word, to read the story, to read each chapter, to see the big picture, and to see you who loves them more than anyone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Your story matters, and your story deeply matters to God. And God has made you to share in his story. And that's why our life matters. Is that God has made us to share in what he has done in creation. And as we look in the Bible, we see God. He's the main character. He is the one who is making everything happen. And as we look at the Bible, we see who God is. We see what God likes. We see what God dislikes. And if God were to have a Facebook, God would like you. He would click like on your picture. And he would send you a friend request. And he would want you to be part of his big picture and of his story. But we have to choose to believe. We have to choose to accept that invitation. And the story is God's invitation. It is an invitation that says he loves you more than just likes you. And he wants to be a part of your life, where you are right now, and what you're going through. And so as we open up the first page of the Bible, and you can actually turn to page one in the story, we see the first four words that help us to begin this amazing story of God. And it says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, everything began, and this amazing story, like all good books, begin with this incredible invitation and a mystery at the same time. Who is God? What does he do? What is he up to? And what does it mean to me? Well, the first thing we want to see today, as we look at the story, is that God creates, and it is all good. God creates, and everything he makes is good. If you look down at verses 3 and 5 in the story, and that would begin on page 1, you'll see that on the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so God created the light, and he separated it from the darkness. On the second day, God created the sky, and he created the separation between the water above the sky, the clouds, and the water below the sky, which would become the land the seas on the land, which was in very day three. And on day three, not only did God separate the seas and the land, but he also began to create life, vegetation, trees, seed-bearing plants. And then on the fourth day, God filled up what he had made on the first day. And so where there was light and where there is darkness, God created the sun, the moon. And the stars. And on the fifth day, where there was water, God created the fish. And where there was sky, God created the birds. And on the sixth day, where there was land, God created all the land animals, all the wild animals. And then it culminated in God creating man. That God wants us to know that we are the ultimate, final destination of His creation. That God created us to be with Him and to enjoy all that He had made. And so everything was made on purpose. You are here with life on purpose and that is your purpose. And that God has created you and you are not a mistake and you're not an accident. You are designed by God and that's why we are here. We are here to bear something of God in this world. If you go down to the bottom of page 2. Bottom of page 2. The last sentence there begins with, Then God said. And if you're looking in your Bibles, it's Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. But there it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so God has made you and me as image bearers of him. And what this means is that we receive our life from him and then we reflect his life into the world. God created All these animals, God created all these birds, God created all this world, and he gave man a job. And he gave man and woman an opportunity of being in his favor by working with his creation. And God loves man, and he puts him in the ideal position. He puts him in the ideal place. He puts them in paradise. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and again, if you're looking at the story, it's at the very bottom of page 3. And that begins verse 8. And there it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God put man in a perfect place. He put him in the Garden of Eden. And the word Eden means delight. God had put us in a place of delight. He had given man an opportunity to bear his image, to love this world as God loves the world, and to love each other as God loves each other, as God loves us. And that God wants us to know his love in our lives. And so God's big point here as we look at creation is that he wants us to be with him. He wants us to take care and enjoy his creation. God was with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He would take walks with them every day. He would talk with them. He would share with them. And they would enjoy his presence in the garden. But within the garden there was a choice that they had to make. A choice of the things that they would eat. And they could do anything they wanted except for one thing. And that is that they couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In our small group, we are talking about um, the children's storybooks. And there are also storybooks, if you were here, not here last week. If you're a parent, there are storybooks also there for you. And they are going to be the exact same in children's language chapters as we are reading. And in them, you will be able to read the story to your children. And you may, you know, you may learn more from that than reading from the adult version, because there's also going to be pictures there. But in this, some of the children of our small group members were asking their parents really, really good questions. And one of the questions that one of the children asked was, why would God put the tree of good and knowledge in the garden? and then tell them they can't eat it? And that's a good question. Why does God give us a choice? If God didn't put the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there, would we have had a choice? Would we have been free-willed people? Would we have been people who could actually choose to love God and choose to let God love us? Or would we only be puppets? Or would we only be like a spoiled child? I mean, everybody knows what it's like if you just give your children everything they want, right? And then they only love you for what you can give them. They will love you and they expect you to take care of all their needs. And they become selfish. But when we have a choice and we find that the child chooses to do what's right or the child chooses to ask the parent for advice, then we have relationship. We have something that's dynamic. Something that's mysterious. Something then that makes life meaningful. And so God had given to man and God gave to Adam and Eve, the very first men and women, an opportunity to choose, to have a dynamic life with God, to know the peace and the prosperity and the grace of doing what is right, even though there was the possibility of doing something that was wrong. But we know That even though God created everything that was good, something bad happened. And if you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, and it's at the top of page 4, it just takes off right from where we finished. And there it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So there was, therein, the mystery. Would man continue to follow God? Would he allow what God had created to be good To remain good. We find out. In Genesis chapter 3. What man decided. And that's at the very top. Of page 5. Genesis chapter 3. Verses 1 through 7. And there it says. Now the serpent. Was more crafty than any of the wild animals. The Lord God had made. He said to the woman. Did God really say. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. is now introduced into the DNA of the world and into Adam and Eve. They made the choice of disobeying God. And we see the results today. We see it in the news all the time. We see it in the headlines. We see it even in our own lives. We see the problems that sin has brought. We see that sin destroys And answers another question, why do bad things happen? I think we're very familiar with the question of why do bad things happen to good people? But the bigger question is why do bad things happen at all? Why do they happen to good people? Why do they happen to bad people? Where did it come from? Why is there so much evil in this world? And the Bible tells us it's because of sin. And it's because of the choice that Adam and Eve made. And it introduced evil into our world. And it also tells us that there's an enemy of man. There's an enemy that you have. And this enemy is very real. And his name is Satan. And he is the force of all evil. Evil came from him, not from God. And God wants us to know that we have to deal with sin. In our lives. Because it's a very real thing. But God doesn't want it to destroy us. He doesn't want evil to take over. And yet we face the challenge of it every day. When we were doing the art of marriage earlier this year. The seminar on marriage. There was a video in it. And it's called The Fall. And we're going to see that video right now. And it's a really great drama. And it helps us to understand... And see what happened when Adam and Eve decided to take of the fruit that God said, don't eat.
1: in the creator's perfect planet. The reptiles surveyed the scene with keen snake eyes. Streetwise, armed with an arsenal of plausible lies he slithered up to Eve, the woman from her blind side preserving the element of surprise and he said Hello child. How was your day? I overheard your conversation. I just had one simple question. Exactly, what did the Creator say? That thing about the tree, the evil and the good. How do you know that you understood? Did he really say what you think you heard? Maybe your mind twisted up the words. Did he say hands off all the plants? Don't look, don't touch, don't taste? What a waste that would be. Eve, the woman, pointed out the tree with the taboo. The tree of the knowing, the good and evil too. She told the snake that God had made it drop-dead clear that everything else was free, every other tree. But if they took one tiny taste of the fruit of this particular one, they would absolutely, positively crash and burn. Ah. Said the snake, faking genuine concern. The deity's afraid of what you're gonna learn With just one bite You'll be just like him Eyes wide open Knowing the heights of what humans can do Knowing the depths, the despicable too. God would have no tactical advantage over you You and your man could have the run of the place Total control over the food you eat The life you live The path you choose With just one small bite you could gain the whole green world. And that means that God of yours would lose. The woman Eve walked closer and closer to the tree. She sniffed and felt the fruit against her cheek. Totally wise with open eyes she said. What's wrong with that? Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know. Born to control. Born to rule. She swallowed hard and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down, and the universe silent. It was the cool part of the day, and God was walking, walking through the land he made. His ecosystem so magnificently put together, about to erode, about to implode, before his sad and timeless eyes. He took one long last look and kissed the innocents. Goodbye. and son. Eve, girl, what have you done? The ground it's broken now. Under a curse, from bad to worse. Now your eyes are wide isn't clear now you know shame now you know fear now you know you're naked now you run for cover well here's what's gonna happen life will be shorter pain will be greater work Harder, grinding it out by the sweat on your brow, the blood on your hands, Eve and Adam, even the bond you have will now be strained, slightly off, distorted, refrained. And as for you, reptile snake, Adam will crush your head. You will strike and bite his heel. You will feel the weight of the consequences of what you've done for eons. He looked them in the eye with a sigh. It's broken now, he said. And the serpent, he just smiled. When Adam and Eve sinned in
0: the garden, uh, a number of things... When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden... All hell broke loose. And it began to help us to see and to understand why our story, why the lower story, is filled with so many problems. Work now becomes toil and pain. Childbirth becomes an ordeal. And marriage becomes a battleground. So when we think back to what happened and where it happened, who it happened to, it helps us to see that even at the very fabric of, very, fi- fabric of society, that sin took place and affected marriages, and family. The relationship that Adam and Eve had was now distorted, and began to become. One that would die. And there is all of this continual pain that continues through our world. And there's the mystery of it. We still see the beauty of it too. We still see everything about the first point. That God made creation and all of it is good. We still have all of that. But within that time we see painful moments of darkness. Painful moments of sin things that just don't make sense. And they don't make sense to us until we understand God's bigger story. Until we accept that what we're going through in the lower story is something that God has sovereign control over. That God still can restore us. That God still can forgive us. That God still can bring us back to a place that he wants us to be. So that there is hope. And the first sign of hope that we see, even though Adam and Eve had greatly sinned, we see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. And it's right in the middle of page 5. Genesis 3, 8 and 9. And there it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They had sinned but God did not abandon them. They had sinned, and God still came down for his daily walk with them. And I think that's so important for us because it means that there is hope in the midst of pain. It means that God still wants to come and be part of our lives. It means that even though sin destroys, God has an answer. Even though evil is real, God has a hope. And that God wants us to know that though we are going to continue to have pain, we have to come out into the open. Because as we read there and it follows, and they, Adam and Eve, hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And God calls to us and he says the same thing. Where are you? Is there a place where you're hiding? Is there a place where there's pain? Is there a place where you feel shame? Is there a place where you feel hopelessness? Is there a place where you just feel the battle is too great and you're going to lose? Or do you know people who are going through that? And can you bring them a message of hope? Can you receive the message of hope? Because there is hope coming, but God has to do it in a way that we don't always like, but in the perfect way. And that is that God must bring judgment and death to sin. And so if we look at the third point, this is what we see. That judgment comes, but with it comes salvation. Judgment comes, but with it comes salvation. And that God wants us to know that even from the moments right after sin, God already had a plan. God has a plan that he can overcome the things that that befall us. If we look back at Genesis 3, verse 15, and that's at the top of page 6. Genesis 3, verse 15. These are God's words, and these were the words that we saw in the drama. These are God's words to Satan. And he says there in verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is a prophecy of the coming Messiah who would stomp on Satan's head, who would bring a death to sin and bring hope again into this world. So right away, even though judgment came and judgment had to come, Adam and Eve had been judged. They're going to be kicked out of the garden. They're going to have to die. They're going to have to go through all those things that are painful. That's the judgment. And the judgment will end in their death. But the death isn't a bad thing. Because whenever you need a new beginning, a clean new beginning, something has to die. And when it's fully dead, then you can have a whole new beginning. And so what God is saying is that He is going to bring a death to death. So that those who follow after him can have it in the beginning again. A new beginning with God. A beginning after judgment that is salvation. And so with judgment there also comes the promise of salvation. So in the judgment of the death of Satan there comes with it the promise of the hope of victory over sin. Go down to Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. And it's the last paragraph on page six. Again, we see another hopeful hint of God's promise of bringing salvation into the world that he must still judge. Verse 21 says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, they had been naked and they felt no shame. But after they had sinned, they felt shame and they began to cover themselves With fig leaves. But God is going to kick them out of the garden and the fig leaves are going to dry and rot. And so God provides for them clothes. But it says that God provides them garments of skin. Where did God get the skin? He got it from animals. And how did God get it from the animals? God himself did the first animal sacrifice. God himself had to kill one of his creation or two of his creations so that his highly loved creation, Adam and Eve, could be clothed. And this is a hint of Jesus coming into our world, that he would die, his blood would be shed, but his life would come over us as a garment to cover our shame, to forgive us of our sins, And that he would face the judgment of God in our stead. But that would bring us our salvation. It would bring us our hope. And then turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. You have to go to page 11 of the story. Genesis chapter 9, verse 8 through 13. And this is a story that we're familiar with of Noah and of the great flood. But even here we see that in judgment there is the hope of salvation. Verse 8 says, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And so this third promise of God that tells us of the coming salvation of Jesus is the promise of God's covenant that he will never break. God had a huge do-over. And it tells us that Noah preached for 120 years, but no one listened to him. No one believed that judgment was coming. No one was willing to turn away from sin and turn to God. And so God brought judgment upon the whole earth And he covered it with a flood. And Noah was put into the ark as a salvation for all of mankind. And then Noah landed on land. And God receded the waters. And the Bible tells us that within days after coming off the boat, Noah got drunk. And then his sons saw him naked. Which was a shameful act on their part. And we see that sin still remained. The sin problem, the sin DNA was still in even a righteous man like Noah. And it tells us that sin is going to continue in this world until God finally makes it all done and all clear. God wants to forgive, but we have to come to him. And so God sends to us his son Jesus, who is the promise of a new covenant, so that just as Noah was the receiver of the covenant, that God would never destroy the world, Jesus Christ is the promise of the new covenant that God would never destroy you or me if we come to him in Christ. You have there on your outline, First Peter chapter three, verses 18 through 21. Would you read it with me out loud? And we see here, as it culminates us for us, Genesis in the life of Jesus Christ. Let's read it together. Christ suffered for our sins once for all. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. God waited patiently 120 years, but no one came. God's waiting patiently now for all of us to come. And the Bible says that Jesus preached to the spirits in prison. And those were the spirits that had so captivated the world in in Noah's day that they had been able to change the hearts of people away from God. And Jesus in his resurrection went to those spirits and proclaimed victory over all the sin that they had caused and over all the sin that still remains in this world, that Jesus says there's victory. There's an upper story. There's a promise that no matter what happens in our lives, in our stories, God has a bigger story in store. That God has a story with a great ending. And that God wants us to be part of this story. And God wants you to be part of it right now where you are. And whatever you're going through, whatever trials, whatever stress, whatever hope, whatever disappointment, that God wants to bring his hope to you. And where there is joy, God wants to increase it. Where there are blessings, God wants to revel with you in it. Where there is great things, God wants to say, glory to me, because I gave it to you. And he wants us to know the glory that we have in saying glory to God. And so this is what the story is all about. It's about us being able to live with God and for God. We're going to go into a time of singing and prayer right now. And in this time, I would like you to be thinking about what commitment you want to make to God. A commitment of reading the story every day or every week, being ready. We're having us read the story before the sermons because we're putting the emphasis on our part in needing to read God's word regularly. And then it'll culminate on Sundays, as we look at what we've read in the week before, so that we learn our responsibility of knowing God's Word and reading it to our children and knowing it in our hearts. And then when we come together on Sunday, we'll be summarizing it, looking at it, remembering what we learned, committing to what God has called us to do. So I'd like you to think about what commitment will you make to God to reading the story, to studying God's Word, to attending a small group. And if you don't belong to a small group, you can write that on your welcome card that you want to become part of one and we'll get you in touch with opportunities that you can visit. That God wants us to know his story. And as we have the prayer teams that will be coming up during the singing, we also want to just invite you to share with us anything that you want wherever you are, is there something we can share with you? It may be a joy. It may be something glad. It may be something where you just need prayer and you just need the nurture and the encouragement that somebody's with you. Then go to one of the prayer teams and they'll be there, one in every corner of the building. So come if you have a need and we'll pray with you. We'll share with you. And let us sing to the Lord and give Him glory.